0: I can get through, like, I don't know, six, seven, eight visits a day I mean, from morning until roughly midday. Yeah, just. But yeah, it, you know, I think for a lot of us, uh, Jose Caballero, and by the way, I also talked to him about the translation. It can e- Caballero can either translate to cowboy or gentleman. And he says down in Panama, it's like more gentleman. So it's like J- Jose is Joe. So it's Joe Cowboy or Joe Gentleman. Either way, I love it. Welcome to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd. Not joined this week by my co-host, Phil Smiraldo. Phil is working. Uh, Memorial Day, effed up his work schedule and he's out. So it's just me this week. Haven't done a solo pod in quite a bit. And again, we don't like to make a habit of these, but uh, I did have some notes and thoughts on the week that was in Marinerdom and won't have a chance to record the rest of this week. So giving you some solo stuff. First of all, uh, what you just heard at the top of the episode before I started talking was a uh, roughly from Aaron Goldsmith. So Aaron's back on the tally board. And then we also heard a discussion between uh, Angie Mentig, who has been filling in on the Root Sports broadcast, more on that later with Aaron Goldsmith, talking about the etymology of Jose Caballero's name and how it is actually Joseph Gentleman in the Panamanian translation of that. So Joseph Gentleman will be his nickname going forward uh, officially on this podcast and hopefully in other places. And To start off this Mariners baseball podcast, I wanted to start with some notes about the TV show Succession because, uh, hey, this is my podcast and it's a show that I know meant a lot to Phil and to me um, and I wanted to just talk about the finale. So if you haven't watched the finale uh, and are uh, hoping to not spoil- have anything spoiled for you, um, skip ahead and there will be Mariners talk soon. But just just a couple of things. First of all, I thought it was beautiful and and miserable in all the ways that, that succession of uh, a finale of that show should be. So it was, it was perfectly on point. It didn't try and do too much for what the show is Um, the sticker scene. I, I totally teared up at that. I thought that was, that was a brilliant way of uh, (laughs) continuing the ridiculous Tom and Jerry Type of relationship between not Tom and Jerry but Tom and Greg throughout throughout the show. um I thought that was absolutely beautiful. The uh, scene at the very end with Tom and Shiv in the back of the uh, escalator, whatever they were driving in, reminded me and reminded a uh, uh, friend of mine, Jay Donde, who posted this first um, on on Instagram of the end of the Graduate, where you have Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross in the back of the bus. Uh, Together, but um, very much apart and on totally different wavelengths, but they are betrothed to each other and uh, unsatisfied, but kind of got exactly what they needed or kind of wanted. It was it was an interesting uh, comparison that J.A. made there. Tom's uh, I'll sing for my supper line for Mattson, just the way he he speaks um, and and in kind of this not confident, but totally eloquent way was uh, I thought that was just a perfect line. And the HBO thing that they do with uh, The Wire and The Sopranos and so many other shows where they make you root for terrible people um, is just going on constantly with Succession and was going on for most of that episode when you kind of find yourself bought into this idea of Kendall as CEO. And it makes sense. It's, it's the, the logical conclusion to things. And then, as, as is uh, deduced at the end of the show... He was the worst of them. And and Shiv nailed that, uh, that he couldn't do it because he had done more heinous things than anyone else in that show or in that family had done. And you're quickly snapped back into, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. He does not deserve it. But you still end up feeling awful with him because of the revelation earlier in the show or right in that scene about um, his potential impotence or infertility. And also the fact that his own father, Logan Roy, when he was still alive, had, had told him at age seven that the company would be his and what that would do to his psyche uh, going forward and his kind of entitlement towards things and how that would have uh, made him act like an asshole because he thought he was going to get this. And it turns out it was, it was much more complicated than that. So what a show, um, just a beautiful, I've said that multiple times, but truly beautiful end of, of, of a wonderful show that uh, if you haven't watched, um, Man, like that's 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 up there now with the oh, you've got to see that's with The Wire and Sopranos, Breaking Bad um, and some of the best TV shows of all time. So well done, Succession. And now how about some Mariners? OK, so uh, news and notes from this past week, the Mariners went six and one on the homestand against Oakland and Pittsburgh, which was uh, one win above what Phil and I had set up as the barometer for those seven games. Um, I had a chance probably could have swept Pittsburgh had they just ran into a a home run blitz against George Kirby in that first game. The A-series a's was totally unremarkable other than the four game sweep. It's just, it's, the A's are so bad. You have to sweep them to feel any sort of um, positivity leaving, leaving playing them. <clears throat> George Kirby in that first game against Pittsburgh, as I mentioned, just got shelled, um, got homered, basically much like Bryce Miller did last night against the Yankees. Um, and so that was, that was kind of an interesting parallel there. Maybe those two guys, uh, might have to change some things up for from what they've been doing early on in the season. Uh, Luis Castillo was fantastic in Game 2 against Pittsburgh, which was good to see him return to form. And then uh, Gino Suarez with the walk-off in the 10th in Game 3 against Pittsburgh. That was great. DM's first walk-off of the season. Um, as it was kind of uh, leading up to that moment, I texted Phil. I was like, have we had a walk-off this year? And we had not. We'd won an extra innings, but it had been um, on the road. So there'd been no walk-off. Games for the Mariners. They kind of felt like they needed that and certainly were due to win a close game. Similar to the Mariners in rubber matches, because the, the the win in Pittsburgh or the win against Pittsburgh in game three of that series, a rubber match, was the uh, let's see here, the second rubber match or chance to sweep game that the Mariners had won all year. The Mariners are 28 and 26 overall as of recording this podcast. But before winning that third game against the Pirates, they were 1 and 8 in rubber matches or chances to sweep in three-game series. 1 and 8. Five of those games were one-run games, and uh, four of those games were against teams that are above five hundred. The Mariners have a uh, 7 and 15 record against teams above five hundred. So if – just say they had won all of those games, uh, all of those five run, one-run games – they would have um, they would have now a 33 and 21 record, which would certainly look a lot better than what it is. And the Mariners would be looking at an 11 and 11 record in against 500 teams or better, which is certainly much better than what they have. So uh, those those one run games have been ultimately very costly. And uh, there's Two ways to look at it. There's, there's that that meme of the the two sides of the bus. Um, one, the Mariners just aren't good enough to to get it done in, against good teams in uh, big games. And the other is they are so close and if they can figure it out, um, that bodes well for their future. So just uh, something to keep track of going forward. Can they be better in, in rubber matches uh, against Boston, Atlanta, uh, the Angels, Cleveland? They've just um, not come up in those moments throughout the year. Some other notes on this year or on this uh this past week. Julio Rodriguez, stay hot, baby, since May 10th. Uh he is has a WRC plus of 172, four home runs over that stretch. His hard rate, hit hard hit rate is way up, his soft hit rate is down. Um, he is the uh one of my favorite YouTube videos of the I think I got my swagger back. Oh, oh, that guy, he's doing that right now. Um, he seems to have a different energy about him. And his, uh, his, his play is reflecting it. There's a the, just, it's all anecdotal, but just the, the joy that he exudes um, is is more palpable now than I think it was when he was struggling, which makes sense. You're not going to be as happy when you're not playing as well, uh, but it is just so delightful to see that young man smile um, as he just did something amazing and super cool. So huge, huge thing that Julio is back on track because this offense um, is not good enough to, to withstand him being average or especially below average and uh, might be something if he can be an MVP type player uh, on the table for the potential fixed sources for him. It's, it's so hard to, to, to figure out cause and effect here, but I think moving down in the lineup has coincided perfectly with it, with his, his changed uh, May 10th was the first day that he got hit anywhere. But lead off, he hit six that day against the Rangers um, has now kind of found his equilibrium at third. So that's certainly something a little less pressure, a little ability to to see pitches um, early in the game before he comes to plate makes some sense. um, But, you know, I think you'd have to ask Julio if uh, what, what, what effect that change has had. He's swinging more in general, which feels counterintuitive to a lot of things we've talked about with Julio on this podcast of, boy, he's chasing a lot. He's not having the, you know, uh, great swing decisions. He's striking out way too much. So you think swinging more is uh is is a is a bad thing. but with a guy like Julio who makes such good hard contact, <laughs> being being super patient and and choosy may not necessarily be his best strategy, right? Get the ball to get the bat to the ball as much as possible, hit it as hard as you can, live with the results. And that is kind of um uh, I think a strategy that has bode bode boded well for him uh, both this past year and in this most recent stretch. Um, in her earlier, sorry, uh, when he's ahead in counts, his swing percentage in fastballs against fastballs in April was 40%. In May, it's nearly 55. So he is taking those fastballs and doing whatever he can with them when he's getting them, especially ahead in counts. It's just a full green light to try and swing at that. Um, And the other potential s- source of his success is just like we know we're going on two seasons where Julio struggles in April and then kind of downloads the uh, mastery of that season patch in, in mid, mid May. Right. So that's, that's two seasons. And again, we are so far removed from the end of the season, who knows what could happen. Things could get better for Julio. Things could come back down to earth a little bit, but uh, this is somewhat of a pattern now that we've seen where he struggles at the beginning of the year and is able to turn it around. Another note on Taylor Sacedo who um, had a wonderful appearance on uh, Sunday against the Pittsburgh pirates in that, that uh, that rubber match in a game that looked like it could have gone either way after the Mariners bullpen had given up two runs to make it three, three. So had loaded the bases in the 10th inning and is able to get out of it. Um, and uh, was extremely ecstatic uh, when he was able to strike out. Austin Hayes to get out of that inning, which is super cool to see. He is from the Seattle area or he's not actually from the Seattle area. He's actually from Hawaii, but his family moved to Tacoma. Uh, he went to Tacoma community college Then after Tacoma Community College, he went to uh, where everyone goes from Tacoma, uh, Athens, Tennessee to Tennessee Wesleyan, uh, which is a very, very small school in a city that has a population of 14,000. So Taylor Sacedo has had quite the journey. I think he was a 21st round draft pick uh, by the Blue Jays. He's enormous. That is one thing about him. He's also born one day before me. So we have both of those things in common. Um, Not even close, but uh, he... uh, is is just another interesting piece in this Mariners bullpen. Phil and I have talked so many times about there's just this blood magic that the Mariners have with the uh, pitching conversion rate at this point where it's like if they throw a guy in the bullpen, you trust that person to immediately make changes to their game that have not appeared in anything else that they've done before. We have so much evidence of this just in the past three years. Uh, Drew Steckenrider coming out of nowhere to be excellent. Um, Casey Sadler coming out of nowhere to be excellent. Paul Seewald, uh Andres Munoz to a degree, although his pedigree was a lot higher than some of these guys that I've just mentioned. But then this year with Justin Topa, uh, with Trevor Gotts, with Gabe Spire, now with Taylor Sassato. And there are more, right, of just these guys who come with, with they're kind of broken toys and they just get not perfected, but... They become useful with the Mariners after bouncing around at a bunch of different spots. Um, Sasedo joins Paul Seawald as being a former Mets reliever who is, uh, although he was with the Mets for not much time at all. But um, it is interesting that the Mets have given us now two parts of our bullpen um, uh, with uh, with Seawald and Sasedo. But what's to like with Sasedo? First of all, the extension, right? I said, like I said, he's huge. He's six four. He might be bigger than that. He's one of the bigger, most imposing players. It almost looks like Brooks Kepka on, uh, on the mound. He's just a huge dude. So his extension down the mound is in the 76th percentile in, uh, in major league baseball, according to baseball savant, which is obviously something that the Mariners covet, uh, with the ability for someone who extends down to the mound, that is a near horizontal plane when they're actually throwing, which means that there's going to be less of like a downward motion towards the, um, towards the, the hitter. So that, that reduces the launch angle and makes kind of for more manageable contact. It's what we've said about Logan Gilbert um, and one of the things that makes him so effective and why the Mariners wanted him so badly out of, uh, out of college. He's not allowed an extra base hit. So to that point, he's just walked one batter uh, in 11 innings pitch so far. Um, that wasn't an intentional walk. I think he has two walks overall. One of them was non intentional. And when he was, in other places in in uh in toronto etc his uh, his changeup was at the bottom of his arsenal in terms of the the usage of it but now it's almost his most thrown pitch behind his sinker he threw it a bunch repeatedly against pittsburgh in the same at bat um you know to a to a right-handed hitter he's able to uh, kind of use it as this little you know piece of bait to to go in uh, on those hitters and and have them chase out of the zone with that and it's uh, it's not this big kind of crazy changeup like Luis Castillo say. Um it's more in the Marco Gonzalez variety, but it is effective and the Mariners have zeroed in on it. That that's the pitch that you need to start throwing a lot more, and he has to uh it's great success. And it's what the mariners have done with so many guys, uh, with Seawald, uh onward with PC Sadler when he was in there just throw that curveball. Like this this is uh, a, a strategy that seems so simple, but has borne out as this, this very effective um, strategy with the Mariners that I'll, I'll, I'll do a better job of, of summarizing that of like, what is everybody's pitch that they've, that the Mariners have developed over time? Um, I'll look at that as we get later in the season. of just like, Hey, here's everything they did with all of these scrap heap guys to make them effective over the past couple of years. Cause I think it is interesting that they've really owned in on that strategy. Not to say that that's all they're doing by all means, but uh, it has been probably uh, from a, from my vantage point, the thing that I've latched onto the most as something simple that this fr- this organization has done to uh, to maximize their their guys, especially out of the bullpen. Last note here is uh, not to get political, as as Phil said last week before uh, making the connection between birds and bugs. But uh, not to get political, but is Greg Abbott ruining baseball? Greg Abbott is the uh, atrocious governor of texas but uh his teams in texas unfortunately are uh, big scary monsters for the mariners at this point right now texas and houston are both fantastic this year um the astros are fourth and the rangers are sixth in fangraph's world series odds the astros are first and the rangers are fourth in baseball's uh baseball references pythagorean record uh, which basically just you know says how many wins should you have if if kind of a, everything w- broke, um, how the numbers <laughs> would, would would serve you. The Mariners are eighth in that category, so the Mariners aren't are no slouches there. But boy, the Astros and Rangers feel like these powerhouse teams, especially this year. I think we all know to buy the Astros. They have so much continuity. Um, Jose Abreu finally got his first, first home run the other day. Jose Altuve's back, uh, but. The Rangers, what do we buy them? I think the more the season goes on, then they continue to be at the top of baseball in so many different metrics. Uh, it's it's hard to deny what they have going on right now. The lineup is absolutely fantastic and scary, uh, especially with Seager back now. Seager, Semi, and Adeliz Garcia, uh, Nathaniel Lowe. I'm sorry. Uh, just a lot of good hitters in, the, in that uh, lineup. Jonah Heim absolutely kills us. And The pitching is more sus, though, with the the Rangers, I do have to say, especially the bullpen. The bullpen ranks near the bottom in baseball in terms of F-war, but that is also the easiest thing for the Rangers to fix at the deadline as they head into this, as they will almost certainly be buyers. There's not big-time buyers trying to cash in on what they have this year because they have only really signed free agents they don't they haven't made these big trades to get the guys that they have they've just spent a ton of money on Simeon and Seeger and uh, uh junk Gray and and all of the different pieces to kind of build out their rotation and so therefore you have prospect capital and they're going to undoubtedly spend that to get what they need at the deadline which would probably be another arm and probably be some bullpen help as well so Texas is scary until proven otherwise. And Houston, uh, the pitching for Houston is absolutely fantastic this year. Uh, uh, Hunter Brown, uh, on top of Framber Valdez and and uh, Christian Javier Javier, I don't know I said Javier. Uh, they have all been fantastic as starters. The bullpen has been great. The offense has been below average, though. But as I mentioned, Jose Altuve is back. He has hits in seven of his first eight games back uh, from injury. And Jeremy Peña, uh, Kyle Tucker, Jose Abreu, all these guys who have been you know, not bad, but just, well, in a brain case, bad, but guys who have been usually bulwarks of their offense, who have not quite carried their load as of yet, they are all too good. And some of them too proven for them to be this bad the whole year. So the Astros are, are slowly turning things around and looking quite scary. And I think about a month ago or three weeks ago, Phil and I talked about how this might be the chance for the minutes to take the division this year, they have a lot of ground to catch up on two really good teams if they want to pull that off. So Houston, Texas, both big, scary teams. And then not to mention everything that's going on in the NL East. We saw the the Yankees last night who were battered and broken and still absolutely terrifying with the lineup that they have. And uh, just, you know, the, the, the threat of when, what they're going to be when they are fully healthy. And they're not even leading the division because Tampa is fantastic. Baltimore is fantastic. And so the playoff scenario in the AL seems to be breaking out as such where uh, there will be one token NL Central team looking like the Minnesota Twins, but really, you know, pick, pick a name out of a hat there. And then it will be a battle for the two, obviously the division winners in the other, in the other, th- in the, other uh, the, the West and the the East. And then there'll be uh, a bunch of card spots open for, Texas, Houston, Seattle, the angels aren't bad either. Uh, and then this, this conglomerate of Baltimore, Tampa, Boston, uh, Toronto, if they ever figured that out, that the Yankees, like it is going to be a bloodbath for the playoff spots in the American league, which will be fun, stressful. And I don't want to like preemptively, <laughs> I don't want to to do a, a Roman Roy because the, the effect of this was terrible for him, but I don't want to do a pre grieving of the Mariners, you know, not making the playoffs this year. I, I don't want to give up on that dream, but um, it will be interesting to see how things play out because the Mariners could have a pretty good year and get back to 90 wins and still fall not just short, but quite short of the playoffs based off of how things are breaking. But there's a lot of baseball left to play and uh, uh, it'll be interesting, but it is kind of, it's it's hard not to start looking at playoff odds and uh, strength of schedule left and all of those things uh, that, uh, just became so habitual towards the end of last year. Okay. Let's close this out. Uh, Bike ride this week. I'm going to give it to Matt Brash one out outings. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but there are at least five of these where Matt Brash comes into the baseball game for exactly one out. And the last three of them, he has done exactly what he needs to do. Get one out, strike out, uh, end the inning, and then turn it over. And that's fantastic. But I feel like it's a huge waste. Matt Brash is having this incredibly unlucky, but incredibly, if you look under the hood, uh, uh, successful, prolific season. And I feel like just letting him pitch and get back in there for the next inning that he's that he's. I mean, some of it is matchup based and righty lefty. I get that, but um, I feel like you're just burning his arm for for one inning or for one third of an inning, which might work if Munoz was a part of the bullpen. But when you're down a key leverage guy. I feel like the the one-out uh, outing for Brash doesn't work, and it almost cost the Mariners against Pittsburgh with the Justin Topa kind of blow-up inning to tie that game 3-3. So I would like to see these go by the wayside with Matt Brash. Obviously, they have to lean on him a lot harder, so that might play into it, too, if, if you don't want to tax him too much. Um, but I just feel like you've got to let him go out there and get an inning of third or face three batters um, rather than just these, these one-out uh, experiences where he's just totally burnt for the rest of the game after seeing one batter. Hydro this week goes to uh, Rick Riz, who is uh, came out that he was uh, battling prostate cancer. After the Mariners uh, were doing a lot of uh, awareness this week about um, you know men over forty five getting checked and the importance of that, and uh, Rick Riz himself said that he was battling prostate cancer and that uh, things were looking good for him, uh, but obviously very scary uh, situation for him and his family to have to deal with that. So props to him for um, you know his success dealing with that, but also the bravery and courage to talk about uh, what he's going through. And um, like I said, very scary thing. And so to let people in on that uh, must be a difficult thing. So uh, all the best for him. Also was interesting. uh, I had forgot about this, that uh, Dave Sims had been uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago and uh, had talked about how he didn't do enough uh, proactively to uh, make sure that he was in the best place possible and uh, got a little scarier for him because of it. So Not that our demographics uh, leans uh, over forty five. I know. I know. I've got at least one listener uh, who's above that age who is on top of this. Love you, Dad. But uh, the rest of you, you know, just um, keep Rick Riz and uh, (laughs) keep Rick Riz in your thoughts. Is there? And on that note, and we've said this before. And you know, there's, there's. I hope that that there's no um, humor that comes off of like, you know, where's Mike Blowers and those types of things. It's a genuine question. the situation with Mike Blowers still is um, a question mark to not just us, but to many Mariners fans. And that has nothing to do with the people who replace him on a day in and day out basis on Root Sports. It's just that, uh, you know, and it has actually nothing to do with, with, with the performance of those people or the performance of Mike Blowers. It's just, I hope he's okay because um, whatever he's dealing with to have kept him out, uh, for this long without any update about his health or about his status or about what he's dealing with has to be something that's, um, that's, that's quite severe. And so I want to uh, extend on behalf of roughly a podcast, on behalf of the Rough Riders, on behalf of Phil, uh, everything we can for not just, uh, Rick Riz and, and what he's dealing with, but whatever Mike Blowers is dealing with that we don't quite know about. So, um, yeah, that's just a, a strange situation that we're all very curious about, but, um, I guess just giving him as much space as he needs to deal with. So that'll do it for this week's episode of roughly a podcast. That was a solo shot by my, my lips are quite dry after that. So we'll take a, uh, we'll take a water break here. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week and uh, yeah, go Mariners buy some Elm coffee roasters. Use the promo code roughly at checkout to get 25% off. Leave us a five-star review. Um, follow, subscribe, tell your friends, do whatever you can to help uh, extend the show. We might have some news coming in the in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but uh, just some things in the background. So, yeah, a nice little tease there. And uh, hope the Mariners take this series against the Yankees. And we'll talk to you next week.